Well, sanctity of human life, we usually take at least one message. I hope, obviously, we talk about God's view on life more than just one time a year. But we talk about the value of human life. I want to just give you an example before I pray here of someone who gave life uh, high value, and that is Julie Fuller. Julie and Sheldon came here years ago and ended up leaving and coming back. And I don't want to embarrass them, but I do want to say this. They have been gone for a long time, and people haven't seen them. But one of the reasons why is because Julie has been caring for her mother consistently, whether it was long distance or at home. Finally, they had to move her mother into their home, and uh, we sent a message out yesterday on Faith Life. She had asked about prayer. Well, her mother went home to be with the Lord about midnight last night. So we, we say that to pray for Julie, but also to be thankful for people who value life all the way up until the time the Lord takes it. And for those of us who have had family members that we've had to bring in homes and care for them, that's a very tasking and challenging and difficult thing to do. However, God calls us to do that, doesn't he? You know, when in the Ten Commandments, when it says, honor your father and mother, that doesn't mean just say, dad, mom, we love you, we care for you. It also means that we are to, with our resources, take care of our parents all the way up until their aging years. There were no such thing as nursing homes hundreds of years ago. People were placed in the care of their family, and they prayed that their children loved them enough to give them an opportunity to live out their days. Uh, Of course, that's a real responsibility on parents, is it? Not to be so hateful and contrary that your kids want to put up with you. But at the same time, You know, parents have that, and everyone that ages realizes that our time is coming when we will no longer have the physical strength and the ability to be able to function. Now, nobody wants to face that reality, but I want to assure you, if you live long enough, you will face that reality. And for those who have children, one of the things that we want to do is prepare our children to love us enough to care for us, or at least see to it that we get the proper care. And by the way, I mention all this to say, this is a part of the sanctity of human life. It's not just for children who are in the womb, it's also for older people who are made in God's image. And as I said, and let me remind you, if you uh, live a few years, pretty soon you'll be in the camp of the older people. So be compassionate. Be considerate. You never know when it's going to be your time to be cared for. By the way, other instances of life that I'm not mentioning in my sermon, but I want to get out here. There are people who are intellectually or motor skills-wise, they are unable to function. In other words, if you turn them loose in society, there's no way that they could function and make a living because of different things. It may be a handicap in their life. It may have been an injury they sustained. However, let me remind you, they are still made in God's image. One of the last times that I went to a nursing home here to visit someone, I walked through the door. Every time I go in a nursing home, my life is always shook back to reality. And if you don't have a habit of visiting people in nursing homes, you should do that. You should take your children in nursing homes to visit people. 
It is a life awakening. But when I walked down the hall of the last nursing home, there was a young man in his 20s who had had an accident and was mangled up and was laying in a chair sitting in the middle of the hallway. He couldn't move. He couldn't talk. I walked up and said hello to him, and he struggled trying to get words out of his mouth. And as I began to look at this young man, he was a very handsome-looking man, but you could see that his life had totally been shattered by some type of an accident, and he could not care for himself. I don't know him, don't know anything about him, but I'll tell you one thing. Ever since I saw that young man, I have not thought about life the same. I thought, Lord, that could happen to anyone of my children, your children, me, or you, at just the blink of an eye. We actually had a neighbor that lived beside my grandfather, a very healthy man, climbed up in a tree on a ladder to chop a limb off. He chopped the limb off, the limb swung down and hit the bottom of the ladder. He fell out of the ladder, and the only rock in his yard he landed on. A vegetable for over 20 years. He was a business owner, by the way, owned a concrete plant, made lots and lots of money. One foul swoop of a limb knocking out a ladder, his life totally changed. However, he better be thankful he had a wife who loved him and cared for him all the way to the end. She valued life, and that's important for us to do. So I'm going to pray for Julie. Would you pray with me right now? And I'll word the prayer, and you pray in your heart for her. Father, we thank you for life, and we even thank you for the death of those who know you. You say in Psalm 116 that precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. That's hard for us to fathom, but in another way, as we live by faith, we know that to be absent from the body is to be present with you. Thank you for Julie and for her care for her mother, for her family, for Sheldon allowing and supporting, bringing her into their home. I pray for them. And Father, I pray for others in our congregation who have went through that, who are going through it, and even for those who soon will go through this decision. We pray that you'll wrap your arms of grace around Julie and her family, and we ask you to even to work in our hearts and our life as we contemplate and think about the seriousness of life and death and eternity. So we ask this today in the name of Jesus. Amen. The Sanctity of Human Life. A man wrote this, and I want to read it to you. This is what he said. If I were to ask you where is the most dangerous place in America for a person to live, how would you answer that? Someone may say the most dangerous place in America for a person to live is in the city of Los Angeles. There was a total of 280, 208 murders in Los Angeles in 2020. Los Angeles has a daily average of .084 murders a day. Someone else may say no. The most dangerous place for a person to live in America is New York City. There was a total of 305 murders in New York City last year. That is a daily average of 1.22 murders a day. Someone else may say, well, both of you are wrong, and undoubtedly the most dangerous place 
for a person to live in America is the city of Chicago. There were a total of 524 murders in Chicago in 2020, and that is a daily average of 2.1 murders. And by the way, that, that is the murders that are reported. So what would you say would be the most dangerous place in the world to live? Well, this man goes on to write, those are good guesses, but they're all wrong. Because the truth is, and this may startle you, the most dangerous place to live in America is not in L.A., not in New York, not even in Chicago. Actually, the most dangerous place to live in the world today is in the womb of a person who doesn't want them. The startling statistics say it all. And by the way, the World Health Organization put out a chart, and by the way, just so you know, the most dangerous city per capita in the United States in 2021 was St. Louis, Missouri. Baltimore, Maryland followed a close second by New Orleans, Detroit, Cleveland, Las Vegas, Kansas City, Memphis, Tennessee, and Chicago, Illinois. There's the list. You can go online and find that for yourself. But the most shocking number was this that just recently there were reported 137 million abortions, abortions a year in America. Can you get your arms around that? Somebody tell me what the population in Christiansburg is. To about 25,000 residents, there's also people who come here that live that sometimes aren't counted. Let's just round the number to 30, okay? Let's just say 30,000 people a year. How many Christiansburgs does it take to equal 1.37 million a year? Our math people, go. Come on, quick. The wheels are turning. How many? 400 Christiansburgs? Well, you can do the math there. It's an astronomical amount. I want you to imagine that the population of Christiansburg times whatever that number is, 40 or 400, I don't think it's 40. Is how many lives are taken each year. Now, by the way, this is an in-house conversation. I realize that. The world is not listening to us right now. We're talking among each other for a reason. Unthinkable, unfathomable, how many people die? That's 3,753 people per day, 156 per hour, 2.6 every minute, and one about every 20 seconds. That's the average in the land of the free and the home of the brave. In fact, abortions outnumber live births in 14 major metropolitan areas in America. These aren't Christian numbers, by the way. They're numbers from the World Health Organization. Here's another fact that was interesting to me when I researched this. American war casualties. The Revolutionary War had 25,000. Civil War, 498,000. World War II, 407. You can read... 54 Korean, 56 Vietnam War, 293 in the Gulf War. However, one man calculated that the war on the unborn was 31 million 
since abortion was legalized in 1973. This is six times, are you hearing me? The number of the total casualties in every war that the United States of America has been involved in since its inception. Sometimes when we put numbers like this in perspective, it's almost startling because we begin to think, first of all, how many people's lives have been taken that never had a chance. Second, how many of those people would would have been medical doctors, professionals, business people, inventors? You name the list. Maybe presidents, senators, people who changed life. That question will never be answered here on this earth. We don't know. We know they're all valuable. We know their life is taken and they are with God because that is what my theology at least believes. I don't think you have to be an elect baby to be chosen. I think there's ample evidence in the scripture that if a child or an imbecile has the inability to choose that Due to God's gracious nature, God does not hold them accountable for that. And I could wax eloquent and give you all kinds of my support. However, the bottom line is that's God's decision. And in my opinion, they are in his presence. That is a lot of people. What do we do about this? How can America stop this taking, I should say tragic taking, of innocent life? And this is what we do. It starts one person at a time. And let me assure you that it will not happen by you and I standing out here on the road holding up a sign saying stop abortion. It won't happen by me and you going to the the clinic down in Roanoke at Planned Parenthood, taking our finger and sticking up in people's faces and saying you're a murderer. By the way, did you know that most people who choose to terminate a pregnancy have many, many reasons going on in their hearts and minds that sometimes we don't know about. Now, we could say that, you know, there are selfish reasons and maybe we're correct. However, instead of just standing and shouting, we need to get involved in ministries like the PRC or get involved in someone's life who this happens to and talk to them in a rational, normal, loving way, trying to convince them to go through the inconvenience of the nine-and-a-half-month cycle to bring this human being into the world, and even if they choose not to keep it, to put it up for adoption to a loving, caring home. There are other alternatives to abortion. By the way, if you sit down and talk to anyone who's went through anything like this, it's not just the fact that they, want, they don't want their life inconvenienced. A lot of times they have parents, are you hearing me? Parents who force them or pressure them because they do not want the shame or the inconvenience of an unmarried person or even an additional financial burden on their family. And they will push their daughter to go through abortion. And this is not... <laughs> Folks, listen to me. This is not even outside of the Christian circle. I will tell you that I know from pastoral experience people who were church-attending believers who had even supported people in their family to go through with an abortion. Now, does that startle you? Does that shock you? It shouldn't. It shouldn't. Because that is our human nature. 
And I always want to be very cautious when I speak like this. You know, I, I've told you this story before. When I was a, first a young pastor, I stood up and blazed the trail, you know, but oh, it's murder, it's this. And, you know, I could do that this morning. I could get very animated, and, and some people will tell me sometimes, you're not passionate enough. You need to preach with some more passion. Well, I would, I would a whole lot rather talk to your heart and your mind than I would try to stir your soul. Now, I do need to stir your soul, but my, my point is simply this. After blazing a trail, sitting in my congregation was a lady, a Christian, a believer, who had been through several abortions. Nobody knew. I didn't know. Someone told me that knew that this lady had been through it, and this is what they said. Have you ever heard of grace? You ever heard of grace? People go through that. Boy, you're talking about rattling a young pastor's mind. So let me say this to you, because I I don't know who I'm talking to here. I don't know who sees online. But I want you to know this right up front. If you have ever had an abortion... Jesus Christ can take away the sin of abortion and all that it entails. He can take that away. He can forgive you. He can give you eternal life and even the assurance that one day that the child that you terminated, you will see again in heaven because you've trusted his death, burial, and resurrection as the payment for your sin. That's the gospel. That's the good news. Now, that doesn't mean there won't be hardship and there won't be trauma you know there's statistics show that people who go through with abortion normally have to carry that weight their whole life my point is simply this folks they don't need a christian beating them over the head telling them how rotten they are they already know that they need to know about a savior whose arms are outreached who's willing to forgive them So we have to be compassionate with this, but we also have to be involved. But this is a startling, startling number. So how do we deal with this? How does this change its course? Well, it changes its course by God's people developing certain convictions to choose life over death and even get involved in the lives of other people who are struggling to make that choice. Now take God's Word and find Hebrews chapter 11 this morning. I'm going to read this story to you. Hebrews chapter 11, it's in the section of the Hall of Faith where the writer of the Hebrews is encouraging these people to get through the hard times of life. Look forward to the reward. Endure, he says. And he gives one example in this passage of a man, his parents, his sister, and all those involved who chose life, even though the government said death. I'm in Hebrews chapter 11 verse 23 and I'll begin reading this morning. By faith Moses when he was born was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. Verse 24, by faith Moses when he was grown up refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. 
By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood, so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. By faith the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. God's man. Father, thank you for your word this morning. I pray that you'll use it to touch our heart, touch our life, and to change us for eternity. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Four convictions of people who choose life over death. Conviction number one, people in every... Is my mic going crazy, Sean? I'll grab the lead. Okay, now I'll get passion. I have this microphone here. (laughs) They choose life over death because they see God's image in every human being. Every human life. Look at Hebrews 11.23, just the first part. By faith, Moses, when he was born, I want to interpretively read here, his parents, even his sister, hid him for three months because they saw that the child was beautiful. Now, I could say a lot here about the image of God, take you back to Genesis, talk about Adam and Eve, you know, Adam being made in God's image. What does that mean? You know, you hear, if you read theology books about what does it mean to be made in the image of God, they'll say, well, you have intellect, emotion, and will. You know, I used to believe that, and I had to answer that on some theology exams. Did you know that a dog has intellect? A dog has emotion and a dog has a will. Did you know that? And I never, I never thought to ask these questions when I was in systematic theology because uh, I, just, I just didn't. I just was quiet and listening. So what makes a human being different than an animal that has intellect and emotion? Well, okay, so an animal doesn't have as much intellect as the average human. I don't, some may have more. Um, but, you know... Here's what I always say. God made humans with a vacuum, one theologian said, that always draws them to something higher. They, they have a desire to worship something. And we will do that as humans, by the way. We'll either worship ourselves, we'll worship a position in life, we'll worship money. We'll worship something, but we're going to give our all in our life to it. But I have never seen an animal yet fold its hands together and pray and be thankful over a newborn life, food, or for God or whoever they would see protecting them. In other words, one one of the aspects of being made in the image of God is the desire in the human heart to worship. An animal does not have that. Now, I could go on and on for hours and hours talking about this. I just throw that one thing out to you. But we know from God's Word that he took man from the dust, formed his body, and then God breathed into him the breath of life. When he did that, the human body not only had a body, but also had a spirit soul. And that spirit soul is the part of the human being that can have a relationship with God. It's the inner part. It's the part of us that thinks, that realizes, that rations, that reasons. It's the part in us that has the desire to worship God. By the way, for those 
who think about this, it's also the part of us that's born spiritually dead. That's why when you have a little child as a baby, they try to gouge each other's eyeballs out over toys. That's why when they grow old enough, they tell lies. They deceive. They'll eat a cook, a cookie or a cupcake, and you'll say, what do you have in your mouth? Nothing, nothing. And you know they're telling lies. Why do they do that? I've told you before why they do that. They, they get it from their mother. But of course, I'm trying to help you be good theologians. You know that it comes from the Father. You know it comes from the Father. How do you know that? Because Paul says, by one man, sin entered the world and death passed upon all because of Adam's sin. And so the reason that we have this brokenness and this lostness in our soul is because of sin. And that's why Jesus came to die. Moses' parents, the text says saw that the child was beautiful. You ever looked into the face of a newborn baby? Oh, I don't know if I'd call them beautiful. Definitely fearfully and wonderfully made. I have to share this. J. Vernon McGee would always tell the story about them calling him to the hospital. You know, I don't go when you have, uh, a, when you have a baby. Please don't think it's because I don't love you or don't want to be there. I just know that you don't want me there. <laughs> when my wife had kids... Uh, one of our pastor friends just barged in. I was like, this is a wrong time to come in when a, when a woman had... I didn't know that. Totally changed my pastoring. Now I say, if you want me to come visit you... But most, some pastors were there immediately when they came out. And J. Vernon McGee lived in that era. And people would hold the baby up with all the afterbirth and the slime. And he would be there to see it. And they'd say, isn't it beautiful? And Dr. McGee would say, it is a baby. It's a baby. He said, I didn't want to lie. He said, that, it looked like a cone. <laughs> but they looked and they saw that he was beautiful. The point is, they knew there was something about God's image in this child. And they were willing to sacrifice to preserve his life. Back in the story of Exodus, a man from the house of Levi went and took as his wife a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son, and when she had saw that he was a fine child, she hid him three months. When she could hide him no longer, she took for him a basket made of bulrushes and daubed it with bitumen and pitch. She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the river bank. By the way, the word there for basket is a word for the word ark. It's the only time it's used after Noah's Ark. And you see a little image here, a little imagery. There's a little Hebrew imagery going on about taking an ark and doing exactly what Noah did to preserve life. So the writer, Moses, is giving you a little clue that just as Noah preserved life through the ark, that the parents and their actions to preserve the life of their child is also going to preserve some life. Because Moses is going to lead the children of Israel out of the promised land, into the promised land, give them the Ten Commandments, and save them from the Red Sea. Just a little intricacy there about the Word of God that we miss in Sunday school stories sometimes. The point is, they saw God's image. There's a second conviction for people who choose life over death, and that is, they fear God more than they fear man. They fear the Word of God and the counsel of God, and the judgment of God more than they fear the edict of man. Look at Hebrews eleven twenty three b 
the, the text says, because they saw the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. Now, if you go back to the story in Exodus, the king had said this. He said to the Hebrew midwives, one who was named Shipra and the other Pua, when you serve as midwives to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, if it's a son, you shall kill him. But if it's a daughter, she shall live. But the midwives feared God. Boy, I could preach right here. Feared God. I mean, do we fear God as people? I always quaked when I saw those shirts, no fear. Oh, I assure you, there will be fear one day. They feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the male children live. So the king of Egypt called the midwives and said to them, Why have you done this and let the male children live? And the midwives said to Pharaoh, because they gave an excuse, by the way, which we could get into another little argument here. Is it ever right not to tell the truth? Is it ever right to tell a lie? Ooh, I could have fun. I could see by your faces. Is it ever right with biblical wisdom to not say some things? Now, that, here, I'm going to preach a sermon. I can already see your all's faces. Some of you are going, no, no, never, never. We'll talk about that sometime. Listen to what the Hebrew midwives said. Because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth. The, the Hebrew text here, they're animal-like. They just have them and run before the midwife even gets to them. Now, folks, are y'all listening? They, ha- they have it squirted out, have it gone, and then the next, they're gone and we don't even get there. This was the excuse they gave him. Do you believe that? Okay, some of you, okay, that's fine. Notice what the text says now. So God dealt well with the midwives. And the people multiplied and grew very strong. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. Wow. They feared God more than man. Can you all think of places in God's word where there are edicts given that you're going to do this or you're going to pay the price, but God says, no, you don't do that. By the way, here is another sermon. What do we do when the authorities make a law and it goes against God's word? Well, here's one example in the, in the book of, uh, oh, I have another passage here. This is where Pharaoh told them to kill the kid. Pharaoh commanded all his people, every son that is born to the Hebrews you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. Uh, here is an instance where three Hebrew men were told they were to bow down to an image and worship. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. What did they say? They answered and said, O King Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, if you want to burn us, because we don't bow, if this be so, our God who we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, if he doesn't deliver us and we're thrown into the fire, we lose our life and we die, and you think that we lost in this life, if you think, O king, know this, we will not serve your gods or Worship the golden image that you've set up. We won't do it. Kill us, burn us. If God wants to save us, fine. If he doesn't, that's fine too. 
But you know this up front, we will not budge. Now, by the way, there is something about a holy boldness that people don't know what to do with. I don't want to promote too much of this, but I did watch something this week. It was very intriguing. Dr. Phil invited uh, a commentator, whose name is Matt Walsh, onto his show to debate transgenderism. And Matt Walsh, if you don't know him, is part of the Daily Wire, and there were two men who were women. One had a beard and long black fingernails, and then they had a professor from a leading university with a Ph.D. uh, on their side who was explaining how a woman is not a woman. Now, let me tell you what Matt Walsh did. He didn't fear that he got booed in the audience, and he didn't fear that he was outnumbered. He said, I had this simple category. I went in there with one truth, and I was going to share it. What is a woman? What is a woman? You have to answer that. They danced around it for 45 minutes. And he ended up saying that a woman is someone with a DNA and genetics of a female. And you can dig their bones up 200 years later and scratch their bone, and the DNA is all the way down to the bone. You can call yourself what you want to call yourself, but you can't change the fact that a woman is a woman and a man is a man. And they were going all around the circle, and then they asked him this one question. The the professor with the Ph.D. said, I just need to ask you one question. Why do you care about this so much? By the way, that's a loaded question. If anybody ever pushes you in a corner and they're getting ready to argue against you, they said, why do you care about this? They're, They're going to get... In Latin, they call it ad hominem. They're fixing to attack you as the person. Here was his answer. He said, because I care about truth. I care about truth. God's people should care about truth. More than people's feelings, more than our jobs, more than our positions, more than our bank accounts, More than anything else in life, the one thing that God's people should stand for is truth. And so this is what happened. The three Hebrew children were going to stand for truth. So they called them and charged them not to speak in Jesus' name. This was Peter and the apostles when they were preaching the resurrection of Jesus. And they said, you're not going to do this. You are not going to preach that this Jesus came and rose from the dead. But when Peter and John answered them, here's what they said. Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, that's your decision. I don't know what you think God says. We know. If you think it's right or you think it's wrong, that's totally up to you. But here's what we do know. We cannot but speak what we have seen and heard. We're going to tell the truth. Now, Christian, let, let me say this to you. And I know some of you all are in influential places. Some of you are in public places, government places. You, you know this. Don't put a bullseye on your head and walk out there asking for trouble. Now, I'm sorry, but that's just foolish. Don't go out there trying to start a fight because you will be outnumbered and you will lose. But I want to say this with all of my heart, and I think I have the full backing of God's Word. If you are ever put in a corner... And they ask you why you have certain convictions about something. Don't you dare be ashamed of God and His Word and His truth and Jesus. Don't don't do it. And I'm going to tell you why. Because God honors those who fear Him and will stand up for Him. 
God will take care of you. And I've told you this many times. If any of you ever lose your job over taking a stand for truth, and they fire you, this church will never let you do without. Never. We won't do it. You stand for the Lord. We are there to support you every step of the way. And by the way, there are people here who can help support you. Now, that doesn't mean for the rest of your life. We won't, we, we're not going to do the government funding, but I'll, I'll assure you this. You won't lose your home. Some people are going, oh, my goodness, retirement plan. No. But we will help you. And, and this is one of the weaknesses of Christianity. We're not willing to stand for each other. We tell people to do that, and then we don't support them. We don't back it up. We're here to help you. We want you to stand. We want you to tell the truth. But be wise as you do it. <clears throat> There's a third conviction of people who choose life over death, and that's because they understand the potential of every human life. Look at this passage. By faith... Moses left Egypt. Do you think his mother and father knew that he would be a young man who would grow up, be raised in the house of Pharaoh, learn all the languages of the Middle East? No wonder Moses was able to write the first five books. I mean, he had an education like you could not imagine. Lead the children of Israel out of the promised land, write the law, cross the Red Sea. You think they're... His mother and father knew that in advance. They saw the potential in this child. They saw he was beautiful. They knew God had a plan for him. Not being afraid of the anger of the king, he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood. This is talking about when they crossed out of the land, gave the law, so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. By the way, you see here the word destroyer is capitalized. Who's that talking about? God. He told Moses, you are to do this for your people and save them because I'm coming to kill the firstborn of the Egyptians. I'm going to take them in judgment. And what did Moses do? He did exactly what God said. But my point is this. His parents saw that this child had a potential and he had something in him. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. They understood the potential of every human life. And you know, just let me just share this. I I think about those numbers, staggering numbers of lives that were taken. And seriously, how many of those people would have been world changers? And how many of us view our children as change agents in the world that God could actually use and will use. I mean, you never know what God's going to do with a person, do you? As a matter of fact, I'll tell you this story now. I was going to save it till later. My wife, bless her heart, records these shows, Long Lost Family. Y'all ever watched them? My Long Lost Family. I've never, never seen them. I was trying to go in and eat lunch one day, and she had this show on, and it was about this man. He was colored. He was a black man, partially black, partially white. Spent 45 to 50 years of his life not knowing who his mother or who his father was. He bought one of these DNA tests, you know, did the swab with the saliva, sent it in. The test came back. This show got a hold of him and wanted to get involved to help find his parents, so they interviewed him. And he was talking about, you know, he grew up in a wonderful Christian home. His parents took him to church, and he loved But he always had this hole in his heart because he wanted to know who his 
real mother and father were. And he was just sobbing, talking about you know his success in life. He was able to meet presidents. He was worked his way up into a cabinet into the White House. I mean, an unbelievable story. And so as this guy begins to pour out his heart, he's sitting there bawling, and I'm I'm trying to watch this, and I'm really you know feeling for this guy. They they find through the genetic ancestry table, they find a lady that they believe is his mother. So they go and interview her. I want you to hear this. His mother, when she was a young lady, had gotten involved with another man. They were in love with each other. Her parents forbid her to see anyone of a different color. She was a young girl, didn't know any better, fell in love with him, and a long story short, she ends up having this child. Her parents would not let her live at home. They sent her away to another home for nine months of absence. Can you all imagine this? Didn't embrace her, didn't support her, sent her away to another home until she had the child, and the moment the child was birthed, they took it away from her, put it up for adoption, and she never even saw it again the rest of her life. She was actually confused when they interviewed her. You can watch it yourself. But the point was, when they told her they had located her son, she completely burst in tears. Now, I'm trying to get a sandwich down watching this show, and my story is not nearly as emotional as theirs, but I tell you, it got to my heart, and I just sobbed. But that mother made a statement. She said, I always knew something great was going to happen in my child, and I want to know him. I don't even know that she was a believer, to be honest with you. She's like 75 years old when they found her. But they had this wonderful reunion where he came and met her. And when they embraced and hugged each other, I just lost it. Okay, I mean, I just, I lost it. I couldn't help it. But I just thought, that is part of being made in God's image. Every woman has this inside of her, this longing and this love for this life that's in her. It's a struggle for them to make decisions like this. That's why they need God's people to come alongside them and tell them it's going to be okay. Choose life. This child's made in God's image. We know this is not right in the eyes of God. You don't know what God can do through the life of your child. And don't worry about your shame here in this life. You worry about the next life. It's more important than now. So the fourth conviction about people who choose life is they view God's glory as something far greater than self-glory. Notice this passage in Hebrews. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. There's you a memory verse, by the way. He considered the reproach of Christ. What is the reproach of Christ? You stand for Jesus, you stand for truth because He is truth, and people persecute you. What did Jesus say about this? Blessed are you when you're persecuted for righteousness' sake. Great is your reward in heaven. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than all the stock market and the gold and the retirement plans that you could ever imagine. You know why? Because he was looking 
to the eternal reward. So how can America stop the taking of innocent human life? This is how. Y'all ready? One person at a time. That's me. That's you. That's us. If God's church was more involved in ministries like the PRC, if we were more in touch with people who were actually out here struggling in the world and not secluding ourselves in our holy huddle. Now, listen, we're a homeschooling family. My family is a homeschooling family. One thing about homeschoolers is we seclude ourselves sometimes if we're not careful. May God help us to get out into the lives of people who struggle. Touch their shoulders, rub their lives, talk to them, pray with them, tell them there's hope, tell them there's a Jesus who loves them, there's a God who wants to save them, there's a God who wants to use them. May we rub shoulders with people like that and give them hope in a world that is filled with darkness. May God do that here. And may He do it there. And then may He do it through every church in Christiansburg, the New River Valley, the state of Virginia, and all the way through the United States. I am, con- I am convinced if God's people were more vocal and had more conviction in a loving way, not a hateful way, that we could be used to change lives one at a time. Now, I, I share this personal appeal. Maybe you're here today or maybe you're watching us and maybe you're struggling. Maybe you know someone who's struggling right now with a life and death situation like this. Don't just sit silent. Reach out for help. Let us get people who can help you and help them in this major decision in life. Be a change agent because God uses people of conviction to change the world. Amen? Some of you are not convinced. But I want to convince you. That's the fact. God will use you. Don't be afraid to stand and be a loving voice for Him. He'll use your soft, tender words in the lives of people. Because folks, listen, just as I shared earlier, the reason we're concerned about this is we're concerned about truth. And every life is a valuable life in the eyes of God. And we should care. We should care. Father, thank you this morning for your word and the challenge, and I pray that you'll use it to work in our heart and our life, to work in the heart and lives of people who struggle, Lord, with decisions of life and death. And right now, I pray, I don't know who they are, but thankfully you do, Father. I pray for every young girl in Christiansburg who's struggling to make this choice. I pray that you'll bring people alongside them to support them. We know that abstinence is the answer, but we know that it's not always what happens. And so we pray that you'll work in their heart to choose life. And may we as your people become more passionate and more involved in a loving way to help be change agents in our world. We'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.